Welcome to the Fast Track of Innovation, the data-driven podcast. Here, data isn't just numbers, it's your superpower. Sparking stories of success from bites to breakthroughs. Dive deep into insights from the Data-Driven Conference, where data heroes assemble. Ready to supercharge your data journey? Strap in, it's time to get data-driven. Sponsored by Reltio. Reltio's AI-powered data unification and management cloud capabilities encompasses entity resolution, multi-domain SaaS, master data management, or MDM, and 360 data products. Reltio helps enterprises transform poor quality data from disparate sources into unified, trusted, and interoperable Welcome to another data-driven podcast. I'm Chris Detzel, and today we have Anch Kanwar. Anch, how are you today? Hey, everybody. How are, how's it going? How's it going, Chris? I'm doing well, man. Thanks. Just got done running a half marathon this weekend. Did you do anything fun this weekend? Or Nothing, nothing as exciting as that. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I do hear that you didn't even break a sweat doing that. Well, I did, so... Um, I always break a sweat during any kind of run, but... Uh, well, the you know, pictures look great. Yeah, I appreciate that, and you know, I appreciate you coming on again. So this is uh, you're you're not a guest anymore. You're just a regular. So appreciate that. Um, no, I'm, I'm the guy who hangs out in the back. Just, exactly. Put a free slot. I just ask the questions. You have to answer them. You got to be the smart one. So um, <laughs> today, you know, something that is super hot today is is around AI, and, and specifically, I want to talk a little bit about concerns around data security and privacy, which is becoming, you know, a bigger consideration for organizations as they integrate more AI tools into their arsenal, more specifically around data management. So I wanted you to kind of give us the lay of the land. Tell us a little bit about some of the AI-related data security privacy issues that have popped up here in 2023. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's it's been the the year that AI finally burst upon the scene, right? As as yeah. a mainstream conversation, and thanks to Chat GPT, but AI related research has been sort of trending towards that now for the last ten years, right? The, the AI winter of the late eighties, nineties that 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 um, sort of got uh, pushed away as soon as we learned that. By using big data and very large amounts of data, we could do enough pattern matching to then create at least the illusion of intelligence. And really, with all the different schemes that now culminate um, with large language models, um, it really felt like AI is now accessible to all of us, right? Technologists yeah. are not. Um, and you know, it's uh, folks like uh, my mother, who's seventy-five, about turned seventy-five. She's asking me questions about mm -hmm. about. AI um, in her in her own way, and um, it's just just been fantastic to see all of that. But at the same time, um, within these last ten years or so, the law hasn't really kept up with the innovative uses of of this technology. And so we've gotten ahead the 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 the, the cognitive ability, if you will, artificial of artificial intelligence has gotten ahead of, of where we are as a society. And that started really showing up in 2023, right? So while the main news was focused on chat GPT and friends, here's some examples that we dug up on 
what else was happening in this in the the privacy and, and security space. So in Jan 2023, Clearview AI, uh, a facial recognition company, they were fined 20 million by the UK Information Commissioner's Office, and that was for um, facial recognition, sort of unauthorized facial recognition, and they were scraping and sort of keeping uh, images around without permission. Um, deepfakes. Deepfakes have been growing in the depth of the fakeness, if you will, right? So um, <laughs> the, the, they're, they're starting to have implications. They're, they're starting to get reactions from people and mass who just don't know any better. Um, you know, with the Ukraine-Russia conflict, there was a, a, a fake video that, that was started circulating that had the president of Ukraine making statements that caused a lot of panic and confusion. Um, as expected, AI is being used to weaponize the cat and mouse game of, of uh, uh, security breaches and security tools, right, to, to try to protect against those breaches. And an example of that was um, also in 2023, uh, T-Mobile announced a big hack um, where hackers had stolen personal information. This was like 37 million subscribers worth of information. Um, and they revealed that hackers had gained access through a vulnerability that was in an API that was being used to power an AI-powered chatbot, right? So this is this is a an associated example, a side example, if you will, of a vulnerability. But rest assured that there is more and more in terms of vulnerabilities that are shared publicly. Uh, some of them are now being discovered using machine learning tools, and some of them are being powered by ML algorithms. Um, by the way, I'm not surprised about all of that, you know, and something that I've been talking to some uh, folks around is there's this one program that allows you to create, you know, um, uh, voices and, you know, you can type in like conversation or videos, right. You know, on like my voice. So I could do Chris Detzel, um, said these things and it has my exact voice and I can push it out there into the ether, right? And you can do that yep. in a video. You can do. All, I mean, it. It. I've. I've seen it, and I've kind of played with it. Um, right, right. I could put. I could put this conversation into. Um, into French. I could put it into you know different kind of languages. Right. 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 There's ways to do that today, and so, you know, there's there's lots of opportunity to take advantage of those things. Oh, you know, and, 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 and make those things fake because it's easy to do now. Like it's so very easy. The, the, and then right there, you highlighted the immense promise and productivity gain of these technologies, right? That's yeah. why we're chasing them. They're just really nothing. There's been nothing like them in the past. That's right. And at the time, the side effects, the possible sort of nefarious uses of these technologies also exist. Um, I have to mention that on a plane recently, I watched the latest Mission Impossible movie. Mm-hmm. And they did a really good job of of, of sort of using this uh, 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 artificial voice creation to to hijack a very interesting scenario. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But it's very yeah. Uh, you have to go you watch know, it. If, if you if you want to take it to the other extreme of action movies, there's some good plot points happening because. Of it. But, but but back to back to our list, right? So. Yeah. Um, alg- algorithmic biases continue to show up in many different. Um, many different ways, right? In terms of decisions around hiring, um, deci- decisions around, um, you know, there was like in Feb 2023, um, 
uh, at Amazon, there was, uh, I think there was a court case about this where uh, hiring processes were biased against women. And that turned out to be based in um, based in the model that was being used to filter out the applications. Um, and then finally, I think it's it's uh, it's more of a societal discussion where there is increasingly this lack of transparency on decisions that are being made by um, by algorithms and the general public is concerned. I think the latest uh, survey by Pew Research said seventy two percent of Americans are concerned about the lack of transparency in how companies use their data. Right, and this doesn't even have to do with AI and machine learning. It's just simply mm. a privacy concern, but but that data inevitably in the future will be used by AI models. And so these are intertwined concerns. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that overview. That's, that's extremely helpful. Can you talk a little bit or explain to some of our listeners on how data unification and management tools such as, you know, master data management intersect with data security and privacy in the context of like AI uh, integrations? Well, we'll go there, but but let's start okay. with how these tools work, even without AI, right? Okay. Yeah. And uh, the 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 problems they solve um, essentially boil down to the fact that data, valuable data, such as data about customers, data about suppliers, it's fragmented. It's distributed into so many silos, right? And this mm -hmm. fragmentation happens for all uh, uh, appropriate business reasons. For example. Um, if an enterprise acquires another company or decides to spin out a business unit um, or just departmental uses of this customer data. Let's just use customer data as an example for this uh, this conversation, yeah? So there's yeah. there's some of that in e-commerce systems. The customer support folks need, to, need some copy or variant of that data. Um, you know, IT systems have that data and so on. So ultimately, you have all of this fragmented data. And what... Uh, a modern data unification system does is really able to bring that data back together to give you this trusted view of what your customer, who your customer is, right? Um, and so that's either called data unification or data mastering as a process. Um, and what's happening behind the scenes is to, to, to do this, every unique piece of data or every unique entity, if you will, is being provided with an identifier, right? And this identifier, in a way, it it points to, or, or not in a way, but it points to all the information about that individual that's available to that enterprise as first-party information, right? Yeah. Um, and so this has some interesting implications in terms of privacy because guess what? Now you're referring to an individual through an ID instead of all the personally identifiable information that was sort of spread out through all these systems, right? So keep that... Keep that idea in mind. Um, the other part of what these systems do is, is really help you have confidence in that customer data. So it's 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 one thing to um, suspect that you have a hundred thousand customers, um, but you may have that data from different systems uh, as the sources, and so you. Um, you know, it's another thing to be able to say with confidence, with a very high level of confidence that you have 990,000 customers, right? 991,000 customers or so on, right? And so it's, it's a question of precision. And this question of precision becomes much more important 
when there is a high stakes transaction that's 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 associated with uh, with those customer profiles, a very large volume of transactions. Now, as an example, take loyalty programs, right? So a good loyalty program, it's predicated on the understanding of, on the one hand, the preferences and desires of your customer. On the other hand, you also want to, as 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 uh, you know, it, as part of personalizing your offers to your customer, you want to be able to have enough data that allows you to personalize that offer, right? So that's a perfect example where having the right underlying technology allows you to balance the need for uh, for 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 the the personalization versus privacy conundrum. Um, you can think of like a global franchisee model for a, for a quick food or fast food type of establishment, right? In that scenario, what's happening is the data about your customers is now fragmented because of the franchisee model. You have customers who may be um, buying your product in multiple countries, right? So yeah. having a flexible foundation where there is trust in the data and you're able to um, operate with confidence knowing who you're dealing with as a customer and you're respecting their their privacy as well as um, creating offers from them regardless of where they are uh, regardless of where they are that's that's a very very tough but very critical uh, balance to be able to strike for our customers does that resonate with you chris that that sort of situation yeah i think so i think that's a a, a good version it's a good answer to that piece of it but when you start thinking about the AI type right. of pieces, you know, you know, from a data security standpoint or privacy, anything yeah, around yeah. that piece? Yeah. Okay. So now let's take this and apply this to the AI integration uh, process, right? Yeah. There's certainly two ways in which um, the, the, the data model interacts with the AI model, if you will, right? The first way is that you use this data to train your AI models. And the direction, uh, you know, that, that, that training depends on the data, the model data being accurate, that model data not having enough biases, um, and essentially being in a state where you know where that data is coming from. And if there are defects that creep in over time, you know, where, what is the source of those defects, right? So... Ultimately, these models are trying to extract uh, value or trying to extract signal from sometimes very sparse data about your broad customer base, right? So how, how, how do you get the, the underlying data to be in a place where you can, you can extract that signal? Right? So that's kind of the one direction. Yeah. The other direction is if you start with the model um, and then and have it act on your data. So if you're trying to run a model to segment your customer base, for example, by um, by the propensity to buy a certain kind of object. Well, what you're trying to segment has to be in a decent state so that the segmented data, when activated, can actually help you meet your business goals, whether they're growth-related or retention-related growth, right? So think of think of those two dimensions, and both of these dimensions, either building a model or using a model, they really depend on the accuracy and the the the, the, the trustworthiness of the data that's really underlying any of these operations. That's good. Um, so, what are the primary risks and challenges associated with data pri privacy and AI systems, and you know how do you 
How does effective data management address these issues? Right. So it's a fairly broad question. And we highlighted some of the some of the areas where these risks were present and realized just in 2023, right? Um, at the highest level, the way I think about it is that, you know, imagine you are running an enterprise and I give you a magical black box and say, you can increase your growth 5% or 6%, whatever, over, over your, whatever your baseline is. Um, but you can't really see with it, you know, you can't really, it, it's inscrutable what the box is doing. That is the definition of black box. Um, <laughs> at the same time, everybody else has that black box as well. And it just has this word like accelerate uh, stamped over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's irresistible and therefore you are going to invest in it. You are going to, uh, you know, adopt it within your operating model, right? But it comes with this perverse incentive that this, this, this black box makes decisions and it makes decisions um, just, just it's right just enough that there's a perverse incentive to pull the human out of the loop of that decision making, right? Mm. What you have is something that's making decisions faster and faster on, on more and more data. And the likelihood of something like that going off the rails is pretty high, right? So how do you, how do you manage this, this technology, this, this technology so that it stays on the rails and, and is, is governable? Um, it is, it is now producing results that are, um, you know, in line with the, um, the, the legal and ethical, uh, boundaries that you have set up for your business, right? Um, so my favorite story is, is, is a very simple one. It's about a seating chart. So, um, we decided to have a party and, uh, this was at the company and we had 50 people that we wanted to seat around, um, eight tables, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so somebody decided to pass this, uh, this, 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 um, uh, uh, action to an intern. The intern stuck that whole list of people into chat GPT and said, please build me a seating chart. And ChatGPT did a beautiful job of building the seating chart, right? Here's the, here's the group of people. Off you go. And, um, it's, it's something was off because when it came back, there were 51 people instead of 50 people who were at these tables. Um, and we had to go through name by name to figure out who was not an employee at the company. Right. Yeah. And so. You know, some, some of this is related to hallucinations and, and the fact that, uh, you know, hallucinations are a fact of life right now. And yes, they will go away over time, but it does illustrate this, this very interesting, um, relationship between data and AI models, right? Because that 51st mm-hmm. name was detected only because we, we looked at the data and really inspected that output for its accuracy, right? We also had some sort of a reference data set in our mind, which said, what, you know, what are the, what is the correct list of employees at the company? Yeah. Right. So those two things um, together helped us detect this issue that came out of a very simple ask to a large language model. Right. You know, it's funny because just that one little thing, I had lots of questions around the seating chart, right? Did they copy and paste one more name, you know? Did it actually hallucinate? Just think about thousands of pound, thousands of names. And, and, and with that data is not the quality of that data. If it's not that good, that's, right. that's just a little mistake there, you know, just from 
copy and pasting that, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, you wouldn't catch it, right? At, at enough scale, it'd be, and, and um, the rate of, of change in low latency system, that, that'd be pretty, yeah. pretty to catch. So I, I think that's the, that's the crux of the matter, right? Where, you know, we talked previously about this asymmetric power around facial recognition that companies with this technology have over society. Um, biases, uh, you know, I'm reminded of this uh, uh, ProPublica article I, I um, read in 2018, I believe, right? And that had to do with deciding on parole outcomes and how that particular algorithm that was being used with commercial algorithm had significant biases, um, you know, especially against African-American people. Hmm. Um, we, we talked about this AI-powered arms race. We talked about the societal impacts uh, such as, you know, deep fakes and so on. Um, and in a way, you can say all of this is sort of early technology around AI, especially large language models, but it is so deeply intertwined with these notions of privacy and individuality and fairness that, um, you know, it, I, I think this is hardly the first chapter in this book that sort of uh, solves for these problems in a way that our society can can absorb. For sure. It's just the beginning. <laughs> There's no doubt. How do you, how does uh, data unification strategies help organizations comply with data privacy regulations like, you know, GDPR and integrating when integrating AI? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll answer two parts, right? The, the first part is GDPR and, you know, think about the scenario where you have, um, customer data that's spread among, amongst many, many, many systems, right? Mm -hmm. Now imagine a GDPR, a forget me type of request that comes in. Yes. Um, you would have to hunt and pack every one of those systems and ensure that that customer's data is no longer in your system or is, is, is deleted. Um, now fast forward, if you've implemented a data unification system, uh, 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 a system that's sort of connected to all of these source systems, Ideally, what has happened is you are, you now have a single trusted record about that customer in your data unification system. Mm -hmm. And you know exactly where the data about this customer is, has been sourced from, where that has come from. So now you have the sing single stop shop, if you will, where you can go in and mark that data as deleted and then propagate it back towards all of the source systems and ensure that your GDPR type of requests are, are honored, right? Uh, the other angle is, where's your customer data located, right? It's, it's very important increasingly to make sure that geo geographical residency uh, of the data is mapped to the geographical residency of the citizen, right? So um, uh, uh, in China, for example, the, the um, MLPS uh, laws are, are being enforced more and more. And that means that uh, PII and PHI around uh, Chinese uh, citizens really needs to be resident in China. Um, you know, with uh, GDPR, there is a requirement for European data to be either in European mainland and, and there's you know, extensibility to the United States, but very similar provisions are being passed all over the world. So data residency is also a very important um, angle to, to think through, right? Mm -hmm. um, but how does this this apply to AI? Well, you fast forward, and um, the European Union is at the forefront of enacting laws that are similar to GDPR, but really 
you know, they're, they're thinking in terms of public good. And I think they just, uh, you shared an article with me this morning and, and they yeah. just released the uh, European Union AI Act of 2023. Um, and I would like to read actually the, some of the snippets of, 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 of that act because it is a window into how a lot of this legislation is going to go in the future. So um, they agreed on safeguards for general purpose artificial intelligence. They limited the use of biometric identification systems by law enforcement, including uh, bans on scoring and AI to manipulate uh, and exploit vulnerabilities. So this is the security angle sort of coming back in, right? Um, the right of consumers to launch complaints, they're preserving that right and to receive meaningful explanation. And they're backing that up with fines, like ranging from 35 euro all the way to 7% of global turnover. Well, 35 um, million euros. No, th not 35 yeah, million yeah, euros. Yeah. Also. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. It's a lot more than 35 euros. That's all I'm saying. Yes. million euros <laughs> and, yeah, right, or 7% of global turnover, right? So, yeah. Um, and they did a good job, I think, of, of sort of uh, classifying high-risk AI systems. So anything that has to do with, um, you know, insurance and banking sectors or um, systems that can influence the outcome of elections, for example, right? All of those are classified as high-risk systems. Um, and then a, a number of, um, a number of uh, um, sort of escalated or enhanced um, level of scrutiny is, is applied to these systems. So I, I think this is the first uh, first shot by the European Union, and a lot of other governments will follow. Um, yeah, I think and, the, I think the European Union uh, loves kind of that being on the forefront of making rules like this. I mean, just think of GDPR; nothing like it back back yeah. then when they when they came up with it. Same thing as this. Look, I don't, I think they're number two right now, and China is is kind of done this as well, but. You know, I still think they're on the forefront of this, and I don't hate it. I think it's a good idea. No, I think I think for us as consumers, right, this yeah. this this is essential for us to be able to continue to function in society, um, and have faith, trust, really in in you know news media or or anything that's electronic for that matter, right? Otherwise, it would reduce down to the only thing that you can trust is a face to face meeting where you're shaking hands with each other. <laughs> no, real, right? Uh huh. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, how can companies future proof their data management strategies strategies to address, you know, evolving challenges in the data security and AI? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been thinking a lot about this, right? And the way mm. we think of of data is is the foundational element on which any of these AI um related advances can be built. And so the questions, like I like to answer these in terms of questions, right? Which mm. Uh, help you assess the state of your data and the the readiness of that data to build an AI program on top of. Yeah. So first question is, is there a clear definition of key dimensions within your enterprise, enterprise-wide, right? Dimensions such as customer, right? Um, today, just for the data, forget about the AI ML piece, but just for the data, um, are the rights to data and, and access to that data, are they clear? Are those, those you know, are those data sets governed in a way that you can be, um, you can, you can audit yourself and feel confident? Uh, you know, is that, is that data cleansed and standardized now sort of leveling up from what you receive from your systems? You, and have you, are you enhancing the data where you, you have a higher probability of, of extracting a signal from that data? 
um, can you trace both dimension data and fact data to systems of origin? Like, do you have do you have command and control over that data? Because ultimately, that um, that 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 you know, when the question is asked about the um, you know biases or other things that have crept up into your AI algorithms, right? Can you actually debug that, for lack of a better word? Yeah. Mm. Um, and then, most importantly, are there established norms around the ethical use of data? Right. That to me is the uh, is the is the key question to ask because if you don't have established established practices and guardrails around the data and data models and how they serve your enterprise, then it's very unlikely that you're ready for um, um, ethics and norms of use around AI models which are built on that data. Right. So I use these as as a rubric to really you know have a conversation about are you ready with the fundamental model, um, and if you are, um, then great, you're going to have a great experience building AI models. But if you're not, the idea is not to, to apply brakes and say, you know, go build out a data governance program or, or a data, you know, a, a mature uh, a governance and privacy program that solves for all of these issues. But really be aware of how much uplift or how much value you can get, get out of your AI ML program, because you also need to simultaneously work on your data foundations and yeah. move both of those balls forward. I agree. I mean, it's, it's some really great wisdoms there. And just some maybe parting thoughts. Are there any kind of emerging trends or technologies in data management and privacy that you believe uh, will significantly impact AI? Absolutely. A lot of it. A lot of it is going to change. <laughs> Not me. Yeah. Um, McKinsey, um, they quoted um, a few months ago, I think in April, they released the, the impact of generative AI um, report. And it's I'm a big fan of that report. I think everybody should read it. They really look across industries, across use cases in those industries, and really identify these hot spots where they think um, a lot of change is going to happen because of AI, but specifically because of generative AI. And um, data management is one of the um, w- w- one of the areas of change under that report. And what they say is ninety percent of how we do data management today is going to change. 90%. That's a lot. Like 90%? That changes the whole work. Yeah, over the next five to 10 years, right? Because yeah. There, yeah. there's there's still a lot of toil involved with data management, right? If you if you mm. think about just the, 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 the variety and volume of data, it, it grows every single day. And so keeping up with that requires a level of intelligence and, and a level, level of... Um, well, right now it requires a significant level of investment. So can yeah. we diligent so that that investment is kept that way, even though uh, those those three Vs or nine Vs of data continue to increase, right? Yeah. Uh, but I'll leave you with this thought. Um, it's going to be increasingly important as you build out these models, these AI machine learning, more and more sophisticated models. The the, the fundamental question is going to be why are they making a particular decision, right? Just like we question decisions that are made by humans, we need to be able to question decisions that are made by these algorithms, especially if they're high-value decisions, right? And so these decisions are driven by the data that we're feeding these models. And therefore, as a data professional, it'll be very important for you to understand 
where did this data come from? What is its lineage, in other words? You know, it may have been combined and, and, and sort of pushed through multiple transformations to get to its state, but still be able to trace it all the way back because if there is a bias in data, it crept in somewhere. And to be able to get to that bias and fix it is going to be akin to debugging software that we do today, right? So root cause analysis and being able to draw these causal graphs of why something came to be in terms of a data set um, is very, very important. And if that's going to contribute to model explainability where you will be able to then say confidently why the model made the decision that it made. And I think this is going to be, it, it's already an area of furious research, but especially with large language models, um, you know, a lot more work needs to, needs to go into this space. But to get the model right, to get explainability on the model, you need explainability in the data. And, and that to me is a lot of what 2024 will be about. Wow. That was really great, Anch. And uh, thank you so much for coming on to uh, another data-driven podcast. Please rate and review us. So my name is Chris Detzel and... I'm Anch Kanwar. Thanks, Anch.